I was scared to say anything there for a minute. God moving on folks. You don't want to get in God's way there for a minute. And that, that, that was for Jesus. That wasn't for me, I can assure you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We worship you. We honor you, God. We seek your face. Be glorified, Heavenly Father. Be glorified. Glorified, Lord Jesus. May the Spirit of God have his way in this place. Yes, Lord. Fulfill and do that which pleases you. This is your church called by your name. You have the liberty, Holy Spirit. Oh, Jesus Christ, may you speak to every heart that is here. We need you, God. We worship you. We honor you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise your wonderful name. Praise you, Jesus. And in case you're wondering, praise is always in order. So anytime you want to love Jesus and praise him, you just go right ahead. Bless the reading of your word, Father, help us. You think back in the scriptures, and you'll notice on the screen right now, a few places we're going to look. We may not get through all of this scripture today, and that's okay. But the title of the message is, I know in whom I have believed. I know, I know in whom I have believed, to know God, the desire, the burning desire of God is not just that people know about him, but that they earnestly know him, that they walk with him, that they hear his voice resonate inside of them, to know that we serve a living God. It is not simply, you know, when you talk about Christianity, Christianity is not just simply another religion. It is not just a set of religious, uh, I guess, observances, and we have our own religious writ. That is not what it is at all. What it is, is this is the Word of God written to mankind. These are the words of the eternal and the living God, the one who is there, the one who sees, the one who cares, the one who loves, the one who knows, and the one who will never leave us and will never forsake us. He is the one who sent his son to die for you and me. This is not a God that is wanting to hide himself. This is a God that put his son up for the entire world to see that he loves us. It also shows us that God is holy, that God is just. And in that holy and justness, he sent his son to die for us that he might show us mercy and forgiveness. But the question today is, do you know in whom you have believed? Do you truly know God? Do you walk with him or do we go through the motions? When you think back, In the scriptures, you think back to Moses for just a minute, and I like this, and I kind of wanted to spring from this, Lord willing, into what we're going to talk about. If you will remember, God had promised Abraham, and it was carried straight on down to Moses, that he had a land for his people, a land flowing with milk and honey, and that they would one day possess it, that God would drive out the inhabitants of that land and it would be theirs. 
And so there came a time that God says, I want you to go out and see this land. I want you to see what I'm giving you. I want you to see the blessing that I intend for my people. Go spy out the land and see that everything that I have told you is true, that it is a land flowing with milk and honey. And they sent out the spies, and they go, and they see this land. Now remember, this is after God has delivered them from Egypt. This is after they have seen the plagues come. This is after the uh, Passover, the firstborn dying. This is after passing through the Red Sea. And they go out there, and they look at this land, and whenever they come back, the expectation, think about what God is thinking. Think about God's heart for just a minute. He's expecting them to come back and say, wow, what a wonderful God who would pick such a place for his people to love us enough to plant us here. But when they come back, what is the response? The response is, we can't do this. Yes, it's truly a beautiful land. It is flowing with milk and honey. Everything that God said about it is true. But there's people there. They're giants in this land. We're like grasshoppers to them. We can't do this. Now, remember, this is the same God that we just said did all these miracle signs and wonders, opened up an ocean for them to be able to cross through, you know, and there was this pillar of fire that separated them right before they crossed through the sea to keep back, keep back the Egyptians. And you think about all these miracles and different things that happened. God was with them. And yet they come back and they immediately say, we cannot do this. We don't have the ability. We can't do it. Think about it. The consideration is not even of what God might do for us. The consideration is not that God will be there, that God will help us, or we need to seek God about the situation. It's just a done deal. We cannot do this. Having seen, remember, what God has done before. And I want you to think about that in our own lives, about what kind of a relationship that really is. For God to reveal himself to his people, for God with a mighty hand, I mean, just really in your face to show you his power and his love and his faithfulness and to tell you that you can, to say that he will be with you and to go take this land and then to turn back and say, you know what, God, we can't do it. Or to put it in southern terms, we can't do it with this equipment. Some of you will laugh in a minute. But literally, in my heart, in my mind, what an offense to God. Wouldn't that break his, it would break my heart, but wouldn't that break your heart, God's heart? To have done the things that you do and for somebody to look at you and say, God, we, we, we can't do this. Except for two of them, two of the spies. And they walked back in there, and they knew about the giants. The descendants of Anak is what they said. And so what ends up happening is they come back and they say, well, Joshua, Caleb, what do you have to say? Now, I'm going to paraphrase for you. But they said, let's go get them. We are well 
able. Listen to this. We are well able. Not just able. We are well able to do all this. The point is, is they realize if God was with them, who could be against them? There are so many things that God wants to do in our lives that God is poised to do in our lives, to be able to help us to uh, not only in life struggles, not only with the difficulties, the hardships, the pains that come with life, but even in our tasks in ministry and wanting to be a witness for Christ. There are so many things that God wants to do for us, but we don't believe him. We don't trust him. We look at him and we say, we can't do this. Well, I guess in one sense, we could say in and of ourselves, we can't do this. But that's not what they were talking about. They knew full well that they were sent out there by God. They knew full well it was God's promise. And they still came back, looked at God and said, we can't do this. And that's painful. Except for those two, we can do it. So as you know what happened... They wandered around for 40 years until that generation died because God said, you're not taking that land. You won't receive it. But there were a few that survived, like Joshua and Caleb. And do you know that the land where the people dwelt, Anak? And here is, what was it? Caleb, who was almost 80, around 80 years old. Do you know what he asked for whenever everything was said and done? They looked at him and said, what do you want? He said, I want the land of Anak. Isn't that where those giants are? Yep. Aren't you 80 years old? Yep. And he went over there and whooped every last one of them and took that land. So if they couldn't do it before, certainly how could this man have done it? God was with them. And people, you know, sometimes whenever we come to these moments where we're trusting or are required to trust God, Because in and of our own strength, we realize that we are not able, but we realize that he is. But we come to those times in our lives, yes, I understand that there are those times that we look to God and say, God, if you don't come through, we're not going to make it. But the truth is, we don't fail in those times. Hear me out what I'm saying here. Or let me say, it never really even has to go that far. We fail many times in just the day-to-day stuff. Failing to believe that God's going to be there and that he's going to take care of us. I'm not a great man. I'm not a... Some of you are going to look at me strange when I say this. Do I try to live as close to Christ as I can? Yes, I do. Do I try to live and strive to live a holy life? Yes, I do. Do I fail from time to time? Yes, I do. But when I look at myself, I do not call myself a holy man. I call myself a man who is striving by the grace of God to live what God has called me to live. I'm trying by his grace and help. And I preface what I'm saying with that comment to say this. Do I know God? Yes, I do. And many of you in this house know him too. You have heard his voice. He has spoken to you. He lives in your heart. 
You would gladly give your life today if somebody were to ask you to deny your Savior because you know that you know that you know He has proven Himself in your heart. You are not walking in blind faith. You are walking in real faith and truth, knowing that God is there. But that's really the key, people. The key is to believe and to know. Every time you see Jesus working miracles, you see the things that he he does, he would look at people and he would ask them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Have faith, he would tell them. Do you believe? And faith impresses God. Now, let me ask you something. Why does faith impress God? Faith impresses God because faith is basically trust. That's what it is. I trust you and I believe that you will. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take one, one step further. I know that I know that he will. You say you know that you know that God's going to do what you want him to do. I didn't say that. Because first of all, I'm not God. And second of all, newsflash, not everything I want in life is a good thing. I can mess things up really, really bad. And I am grateful to my father that sometimes he tells me no. Because if he didn't, I'd really mess things up. I don't see what God sees. I don't understand what God understands. And sometimes the best answer is shame. You don't understand, so the answer is no. It's kind of like Paul. I go to the Lord and I'm praying and I'm crying out to God, take this thorn out of my flesh. And God kept telling him, no, I will not take that thorn out of your flesh. After all, he's an apostle, right? He's one that God has used for many miracles, signs, and wonders. God is indeed with him. And you mean to tell me an apostle cries out to God and God told him no? Well, what if he asked him over and over again? God told him every time, no, no, no. He says, Paul, my strength is perfected, made perfect, complete, in your weakness. God said, and even Paul confirmed this, that in his life there were times that God would use his frailties to humble him. Why? Because God had revealed so many things to him, the temptation and the propensity in his life was to be puffed up, to be proud. And so what would God do? He'd allow these things in his life so that Paul would not fall away. That's not a curse. That's a blessing. For God to tell you, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Because Paul, when you're weak, when you're weak, he's strong. He's strong. Time again in the Old Testament, God will tell his people, he says, if I let it go this way, you're going to think you did it in your own strength. He said, this way, you'll know that it was me. You know, one of the greatest examples I believe of that, and I'm getting a little far afield here, so I'm going to have to come back. But you remember whenever the Israelites come to the Red Sea and they're getting ready to cross, you remember what the command was? The command was this, be still and see the glory of God. Be still. The Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. God was basically saying, be still and watch me. Be still and trust me. All right. So let's go to 2 Timothy 
chapter 1 and verse 12, which is the scripture that the, the title comes from. But I want you to think, Paul's talking about the different things that he has faced in his life and in his apostleship, his desire to be faithful. And knowing Christ, he realizes that even if he suffers big, here, I'll give you a good one, big whooping deal, okay? Good southern term for you, big whooping deal. Because the present sufferings of this life are nothing to be compared with, with the glory that will be revealed. But I want you to see this. Paul says, God bless the reading of his word. Praise you, Jesus. He said, for this reason, I also suffer these things. He says, I gladly suffer. Paul even said, I gladly suffer the loss of all things, you know, for the excellency of knowing Christ. But he said, for this reason, I suffer all these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed because of the things that I might do without or the things that might happen to me. That's not shame for me. For I know, listen to those words, for I know whom I have believed. I know in whom I have believed. And he said, I am persuaded. In other words, this is my conviction. I am persuaded that God is able to keep which I, what I've committed to him, what I entrust to him, my faith that is in him until that day. What day? The return of Christ. So until Christ returns, and forever for that matter, but what he's saying is on this side of eternity, until Christ returns, he will keep all that I have committed to him, all that he has promised. He that has begun a good work in me is faithful to complete it. All right. Flip over to Luke for just a minute. So he says, I know in whom I have believed having that conviction to know God. Now, there's only one way to know God. Now, we, we talk about salvation. We talk about repentance. We talk about this thing. But it comes down to this, people. Unless you are willing to come to God and lay down your life before him, which, talking of repentance there, turning from our sins, giving your life to him, and then communing with him. God wants to commune with him. How are you going to know him if you don't spend time with him? How are you going to know him if you don't learn from what he has taught us? This book is not just here to be a holy book that sits on the shelf. It reveals to us the interactions of God with man in great detail. And it is also a testimony, if you will, that is unalterable or inalterable. I guess a better word. But anyway, you cannot change it. It is there for eternity for everyone to see this is what God did. If this is God's promise to you. So whenever it comes to believing and trusting God, talking about faith here. Some people have it in their minds whenever they talk about faith, they think of blind faith. They think, well, I'm just going to believe it even if everything is to the contrary. Well, I'm just, I'm just going to go by and just say, okay, this is what my parents believed and therefore I'm going to believe it. And I'm not saying as a child there's not an aspect of that as you are leading them up in the fear and admonition of God. But some people just think faith is uh, nothing more than a hope so. I have faith. I'm, I'm just choosing to believe this. Whether true or not, I'm just choosing to believe it. That is not the biblical definition of faith. Faith is an assurity, people. 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, some of you might say, well, that sounds like a riddle. Well, it kind of goes back and forth, but I want you to think. Faith brings about the substance of what I'm trusting God for. Faith, I now have in that trust and belief the evidence of what I have not been able to see. Think about this. I know that I know that I know. I didn't see the universe created, but I can tell you right now who created it. Without a doubt, I know that God created the universe. I know that it was his hand. I know that he did it in six days. Some of you are looking at me. Well, pastor, you trust me. Trust me on that. I know that my Savior died for my sins. I was not there, but he lives in my heart. I know it, not because I want to believe it, but because God by his Spirit has shined his light into my heart. He lives in me. And he lives in you, and therefore I know that I know that I know. I have sometimes people will come to me, and they will argue Scripture, and they will come back and forth and say, well, pastor, how can you believe this? How can you believe that? And sometimes, you know, I'll sit there and I'll go, okay, toe-to-toe. We'll, we'll go with apologetics. I'll give my arguments. I'll give theirs, and we'll go to proof text, and we'll go to original languages. And then I had the other day, I just finally looked at somebody, and I said, he lives in my heart. And they looked at me kind of strange and said, and? And I said, does he live in yours? When I pray, my God hears me. When I pray, my God answers me. When, my, when I hurt, my God comforts me. My God is there. I walk with him and talk with him. And he tells me I am his own, right? <clears throat> Don't ask me to say. But he's there. You want proof? He lives in my heart. We can argue a lot of things, but I know him. And whenever we come to that conviction, when we talk about faith, it's a conviction. You know that you know because of what God has revealed in your heart. If you take a look at Luke, I want you to see this. This is just kind of a neat story. But whenever we talk about faith and we talk about people believing God, have you ever seen somebody reach through In other words, it wasn't Jesus necessarily coming to them, pulling on them, or other people trying to encourage them. Have you ever seen somebody that had just heard about Jesus and then laid hold of him? Laid hold of him. Like the woman with the issue of blood, whenever she said, if I could just but touch the hem of his garment, she was crawling through the crowd, pushing and bumping up against people until she could get to Jesus just to touch him because she was convicted in her heart. If I can get to Jesus, if I can touch him, I'll be made whole. That's faith, folks. Let me ask you this. How about a leper who knows that he's going to be stoned to death if he gets close to people and he's willing to go into a crowd to get to Jesus? People say, well, I guess, you know, it was Jesus or bust. No, the point is he knew that he knew that he knew. If I can get to Jesus. But maybe today, maybe that's the problem. We don't know that we know that we know that if we get to Jesus. Some of us don't even think we can get to Jesus. Some people think now we live in a different dispensation. Jesus is up in heaven and we're just on our own hogwash. You proved that to me by the book of Acts and what we've been studying. 
As a matter of fact, the move of God was on steroids, if such a word can be saved, said. Kind of, I'm, I'm teetering there. I got to be careful. But let's just say things ramped up a whole lot after the day of Pentecost. God has not stopped moving. We have stopped believing. So let's take a look at this. Luke chapter 7, starting verse 2. God bless the reading of his word, Jesus. It says this, And a certain centurion servant, the servant to the centurion was very dear to him. The servant was sick and ready to die. So this person is bad shape. So when the centurion heard about Jesus, he had been hearing about this man Jesus and what he could do. He recognized something in Jesus. He recognized the power of God. He recognized his authority. So he heard about Jesus and he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and to heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that one for whom, that the one for whom he should do this was indeed deserving. In other words, this is a good man, Jesus. Please, please. If, if there was ever one that, you, that we want you to help, please help this one. And they even said, um, let's see, let's do this. He was deserving for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him and listen to what he says, saying to him, now I know You may have heard this story many times in church and even in Sunday school. But I want you to pretend this is fresh ears. You are there. You're walking with Jesus. You're on the way. Jesus is going to lay hands on this person. He's going to heal them just like he's done. And look at what happens. These people come out and they start talking to Jesus. And they say, Lord, do not trouble yourself. This is the word of the centurion being sent. Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. By the way, being that this fellow is more than likely Gentile, Jesus coming under his roof would have made him unclean, at least in the eyes of the Jewish community. That's the way it worked. To touch the things that he had in his house to make him unclean. Now, I won't get into the whole holiness of Christ in this respect that any place Christ goes it becomes holy and anything Christ touches becomes holy but in general belief among the Jews to go under the roof of a Gentile would have made you unclean but that aside it's more than this this man isn't just saying you know don't come in here and make yourself ceremonially unclean I'm not worthy I'm not deserving or any of us for that matter so anyway Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. He says, but say the word, Jesus. Say the word. Give the command, and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man placed under authority. In other words, I understand authority. I have soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to this servant, do this, and he does it. In other words, there's no option. If I give a command, it has to be done. And Jesus, I believe the same thing about you. I believe if you speak, it is so. You don't have to actually walk, touch, or do anything. 
I have seen in you authority. He may not have, oh, how could he? But he didn't fully understand who Jesus, Jesus was, but he understood that the power of God rested upon him. And he knew that authority. And I believe God also dealing with his heart. So he says, if I give a command, it's done. Jesus, you do the same. So you just say the word, Jesus. You command that my servant be healed, and they will be healed. Now catch this. Now the Jews are supposed to be the people of faith. Christians are supposed to be the people of faith. And you think about it, Jesus is in this nation, and look at his response in verse 9. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. In other words, you impress Jesus. Not an easy thing to do. But impress Jesus. He marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith. Think about that. I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Gentile. You're telling me this Gentile has this faith to trust and to believe. He said, I go around, everybody wants me to come touch, 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 touch. This man says that I'm not, or that he's not worthy, that I should even come under his roof. But he says, speak it. And he said, I have not found this faith in Israel. He believes there must be a conviction. Okay, let's put this in your court for just a minute. If I had a sick child and I want somebody to pray for him, uh, and you say, well, I'll tell you what, give me a couple minutes after I'm done with what I'm doing here. I'll pray in my office and God will take care of it. That ain't what you asked for. Or excuse me. That is not what you have requested. No, you want the person there. You want them to grab the grab their old man. You want them to, you know, slap something on you. Praying, wailing, all that kind of good stuff. And the truth is, this Gentile says, Jesus, all you've got to do is say it. What faith to reach out and to believe. And my question is, is do we believe that? Because if we do believe that, that changes your prayer life. That changes your walk with God. Because, you know, a lot of times we will say here upon the earth, you know, if Jesus were only here, Jesus would do A, B, C, and D, right? If Jesus were here, we could go to Jesus. We could see him. We could take him. He could go do these things. We could pray for this and, and, or ask him for this, and he would take care of it. Well, what I see right here is a man that says, Jesus does not have to be in your house. He doesn't have to be walking around with you at that moment. The fact is, is whenever you ask him and he says he will and he commands it, it is so. So I guess what I'm saying to you today is in our walk with God. Do we truly believe? Do we know him? Do we truly know in whom we have believed? Are we too persuaded that God is able to keep, to do whatever he has said. He will do it. And I am of the persuasion and of the belief and now also of the conviction that now more than ever, 
we need to start praying and believing God to change things. I'm going to tell you right now, I have seen not only in this church, but there's several churches in this area that are absolutely under attack. I mean just a heated, heated spiritual attack that is going on. You say, well, why are they under spiritual attack? Is it because they're, they're bad or they haven't been doing what they're supposed to be doing? No, it's the exact opposite. People are desperately wanting to seek the face of God to follow after the Lord, and the enemy doesn't want it to happen. But if we don't pray, we can go back to Daniel. We can look at how Daniel, how he fasted and he prayed. We can talk about the spiritual warfare in the heavenlies. We can talk about that the day he began to fast and pray, God already answered his prayer, but there was a war that took place in the heavenlies. And because he continued to fast and pray, eventually God says, no more. The answer was to come. We have got to pray and not let go. Father, bring revival. Father, save souls. Father, move in our midst. People are looking for a living God. If you, if the house is full of Jesus, they'll come from all over the world just to be with him. And I'm not just talking about Tennessee Avenue. I'm talking about all the churches in this area. Yes, I may pray for churches all over the world, but I'm not responsible for every church all over the world. I'm responsible for where God is planning me, here in this community. And if we pray for this community, not just Tennessee, but all churches in this area, we will see a move of God that is unprecedented. We will see souls change, uh, saved. We will see change too. But we will see the move of God. But we have to be convinced in our hearts that God is and God will. Those that come to God must first believe that he is. That he is what? God. Those who come to God must first believe that he is God and the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I think we need to diligently seek him. I think we need to start wailing and praying and crying out for our community. I think we need to start praying for our churches. I think we need to pray for our church. I think that we need to ask God to get us beyond self, beyond our desires and to say God what do you desire and God how can I be a positive impacting part of what you desire time's up time's up time's up the worship team's coming I'll have to tie this together God, the scripture says, looks to and fro. It's a nice way of saying back and forth. On the face of the earth, looking for those that he can be strong on their behalf. Leonard Ravenhill made this comment. He said, one day, and whenever I look at the life of Leonard Ravenhill, the guy who wrote the book, Wild Revival Terry's, and I see the impact he had on the world for him to say this. this. This blows my mind. But he said, one day, 
Somebody is going to pick up this book as he grabbed the Bible in front of him. He said, one day somebody's going to pick up this book and actually believe it. And they will change the world. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for these your saints. Father, I pray that we move beyond a superficial religion, just the surface level and saying, hey, I I got my toes wet, it feels good. I want us to get beyond that and say, Lord, I want to dive in head first. I want us to take our hands off the safety, hands off of any crutches that we might need and say, Jesus, you hold me. Help us to do that. Father, I ask for the Spirit of God to bring life into every heart. I ask you to stir us now. I pray, Father, that those that you are dealing with right now, Father, that you would just confirm that calling, that you would confirm, God, what you're doing in them. And may we burn, Father, for your will and for your heart. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, in just a moment, they're going to be singing. We'll have our altar service and... I know we've got several visitors today. Don't forget to stop by our visitor center whenever you leave, which is just out the door and to your right. But let me tell you this. The altar service is about you and Jesus, not me. There's room to my right. There's room to my left. You can stand here. You can kneel at the altar. You can even sit on the front row if your knees will not allow you. That's not the the thing. It's not about me. It's important that you do your business with Jesus. Now, If you want special prayer, I'm here. I'd love to pray with you. I'm praying with somebody. Somebody else will be up here to pray with you. But don't walk out the door without having your time with Jesus if he's speaking to your heart. Secondly, if you don't know Jesus, okay? And I know most of you in here do. But if you don't know Jesus, don't walk out of here without him. Even if you're struggling in your faith or you don't understand, don't leave. Grab somebody before you leave and say, I want to talk. We'll be happy to talk to you. Let us respond as God speaks to us. If everybody would please stand. Just as I am without but that
Father, these are your people. And Father, we thank you for this day. I pray that everyone has been challenged in some way to grow closer to you. Father, fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit. Please forgive us of our sins. Father, do all and only what you can do. Do that in us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, go with God.